At least Old Boy has a happy ending. Ooh, man. Shut the fuck up. Anyway. It's funny because there are no black people in Birdman. So that's that fine. is oh, not true. Um, Birdman had black feathers. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> and there's a cute black man. There is. The magical Negro, for he, the most part. Is he magical? Oh, wait, because he can get anything. So he's sort <laughs> of magic. Yeah, whatever. Well, he's they're the magical Negro because he doesn't kill anybody in prison. <laughs> wow. Wow. Cut off that stupid goatee. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we talk about the Best Picture winner from 2014, which was Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there, everybody, and welcome into episode 126 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with Nick Cheney. Hey! What's up, Fonz? Yep. And for the first time in a while... Not forever. Thank you very much. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm back after a long break. Um, it's really good to be here. I'm Nick, and uh, you know what? What? It's not cool, man. Just let Tucson have his moment. He's returned. It's fine. Tucson. He's here. Hey. Hi. Black people have gone through enough. Yeah. You don't have to. I know. We talked about Detroit. <laughs> Man, uh, wow! I have not listened back to that episode, and I'm pretty sure as soon as I listen, you know back who to else it, has gonna, never has I'm gonna be, listened back to I'm going to be really upset with both of you. Actually, um, you probably won't because okay. we actually both didn't care for that film. I, I, mean, kinda, I haven't seen it myself. Kind of hated it. Okay, that's cool. But I'm interested <laughs> because in hearing I love what you, black people. Um, that's great. And I didn't that's, like that's what it, I that, saw that's, in that that's movie. That's really that's yeah. That's great. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's awesome, Nick. I Thanks. will. I really yeah. do want to know if you ever watch it. Yeah. What you think? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'd have but to look not because more. of your skin color, but, but because I value your opinion as a film. Wow, this, <laughs> what an wow, this is like that, that fucking Tina Fey skit on SNL that uh, every neoliberal like, snide fuck on my Facebook thought, oh my god, I love how she eats cake. But it's okay when Donald hey, Trump makes hey. a joke about black people, right? Let them eat cake, Tucson. I... I think that that is the most asinine, just masturbatory echo chamber bullshit I've ever heard. Whoa, and did she masturbate? You know what? Maybe Donald Trump deserves to win the 2020 election if you're going to act like that. Hey, so I'm back. Yes, he is. Here <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. I'm yeah. excited. I'm not holding anything back. He's thinking oh, he's back. You're like Eminem when he came back with relapse. Shut the fuck up. Say no D12 shit. <laughs> My band. Yeah. So today we are uh, actually talking about an older film, uh, not a very old film, but a film that isn't from this year. No, back in the era of the black and white films. <laughs> what the fuck? It's funny because there are no black people in Birdman. So that's that fine. is oh, not true. Um, Birdman had black feathers. You know what? <laughs> you, you, you know what? <laughs> 
<laughs> There's one guy. His name is Craig Mums Grant. He's, oh, the drummer. He's oh, the Broadway yeah. man on the street. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. There's no yeah. black people in this movie. Just the guy with playing the drums with the sunglasses on. But at least least there's Korean people in this movie who get yelled at by Emma Stone. He was only in Skype. Yeah, he was, yeah. Shut up! Ah, yes. But... That's prestige filmmaking. Also, how do we know that the people in, like, the Spider-Man suit wasn't black? Man, I'm gonna have to look that up. Maybe it was the Miles Morales say, that shit wasn't Miles Morales. I love how they casted him in that Spider-Man film that came out this year, but he had to be a drug-dealing thug. So That's that was not... Good. Hey, like, he had a conscious. Donald Glover wasn't casted as, as Miles Morales. He was, I'm... I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm we already probably talked about this, whatever. No, did. but they, they brought the actor in. They're like, here, we need a... We need a drug dealer here. So. Yeah, yeah, it seems a little weird. Like, after the campaign, oh, we're just going to put him in this role. But don't worry, we're going to slide in Miles Morales later on. I was like, that's Maybe. fucking bullshit. Hey, kids, we've watched The Wire. We know what's hip. <laughs> Man, I... Mm, mm. Mm. But anyways... Someone turn off my mic. Yeah, probably is a good thing. Although, I will say, this is the loudest volume we've been at in seven weeks. I'm kind of drunk right now. That yes, Toussaint killed a six pack as soon as he walked in. Not like a it was six all pack, gone. like two out of six pack. <laughs> he killed a six pack, like it was gone. If Toussaint killed a six pack, uh, he I don't think he'd be talking right now. I would shut up. So I was saying that if I killed a six pack, I don't know that I'd be talking right now. I'm just saying. Don't underestimate my power. I, I'm not saying I'd be passed out. I'm saying I'd be masturbating in the corner, wondering what you guys are doing. <laughs> Joe Hill. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about Birdman. What the fuck, Donnie? Uh, okay, so we have done a lot of new films this year, which is why I said we are doing an older film. We've done a lot of... We went way back in the archives. Yes, all the way back to 2014 to a Best Picture winner, uh, which was Birdman, uh, which won four Oscars, including Best Picture, and was the second in a row of three for uh, Lubezki as mm. Best Cinematographer. And all that, you know, the usual Academy shit, which uh, pretty much take it for what it's worth, as the Academy Awards is not necessarily meaning of the same thing it used to 50 years ago. Um, Hell, half the time they can't even get the uh, best picture right. Well, it was Warren Beatty. It's all good. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Although that's funny how it's because they tried to paint it that way. Immediately after, and he's like, wait a minute, I didn't read it wrong. They're like, he did, it's right here. You know what would be great? If the <laughs> opening skit of the next Oscar ceremony is mm-hmm. Warren Beatty dancing to the song Dancing in the Moonlight, like, that would be good. I've actually thought that they should... Um, Hit me up, writers. The, <laughs> Hit I, me I've, up. I've actually thought that they should do like a almost like a thing going back with uh, all the movies that lost... The best picture. Why? I here, here's what we can <laughs> what all nice. agree on is that mm-hmm. the person who presents best picture will very hilariously say that a movie won that didn't actually win. It'll be something obvious, like a movie that's not actually up that year. Like maybe they'll actually say Moonlight or something, but that that is bound to happen. Now. Yeah, it'll be great when they undercut another film that like rightfully deserved. And to be hopefully, a- it's a film so embedded in African American culture. Yeah, hopefully. Like Crash. We, we can only hope. 
We can only hope. Can we just talk about what a masterful movie Crash is? <laughs> I, I mean, Brendan, we, that's, not what the, that's not what the episode was about, but okay. Matt Dillon, Sandra Bullock. <laughs> Sandra Bullock had a tough time being a different Alive? race. Oh, yeah. Sort of. I'm sorry. I like Don Cheadle in that. His plot line is the only plot line that's actually decent. You yeah. Don't, you don't like the uh, guy who murders the child and gets saved by the fact that his no, daughter doesn't trust him? my least favorite plot line. <laughs> because he literally goes to his daughter and says, guess what? Jesus was watching me when I shot that little girl. I really, I really don't. knew to put fake bullets in my gun, and therefore I'm a good person. I really don't like Terrence Howard in that film. Or, as or a, just in general. Or as a person. But... <laughs> I also really didn't like him in that film either. I just thought that his his character was very boring, and I just I, I don't I don't like his character in general. And maybe that that's supposed to be like an, an accurate portrayal. He's of the who one who's like the director who wants his characters to not speak so black, right? Well, no, that's that's what his his what 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 his 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 producer asked him. I'm just like, wait a minute, why uh. Why, 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 why are you making them talk so, like, you know, not black? You should have made them sound right, more, more black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty much what it is. So, anyways, speaking of washed-up actors, Birdman, oh. Birdman. the film we're talking about today. Yeah. Oh, he's Center. on the up and up. Anyway. Michael Keaton, yes. Yeah. Terrence Howard. Mr. Mom. Terrence Howard, actually, kind of is. But yes. Okay, so Birdman centers around a washed-up actor who once played a famous superhero as he attempts to revive his career... By writing, directing, and starring in a Broadway play. He was Raymond also Carver. washed up the jellyfish at the beginning of this movie. <laughs> that's, a, that's actually... A, Metaphor. A, I mean, that's a... like, like a, He's electric. Boogie, woogie, woogie. Half second cut that comes in that you only get a yeah, second time. I totally forgot it. about that. That's like the, yeah. that's like the fucking it's dinosaur in the Tree of Life. Like, at least there's like a plot line in that one minute scene in which the dinosaur learns mercy. Oh, I guess that's the point of that, isn't it? The film was directed uh, by and written by Alejandro Inarritu, uh, who won Best Director and this sure film did. won Best Picture. Yeah. Uh, he also directed uh, the film the following year, The Revenant, and won Best Director for that, and has now been washed out of Hollywood pretty much. Why? Because he's a penis. <laughs> I think he made like a VR film that I've actually been interested in like checking out because I hear that it's supposed to be really good, but I didn't know that he was washed out of Hollywood. Um, I don't he, know. I'm sure he's working on something. I mean, I'm sure he he's the last thing he ever done. did was like was he just like the flavor of the year, and then now they're just like done with him. He was kind of an asshole. Well, yeah, he's an just auteur. The flavor of the yeah, but week. he was a bit of a f- flavor. He's kind of like um, Orson Welles was an asshole. Is that AFI. No, uh, no, Flavor of the Week was Newfound Glory. There I we go. Yeah. No, um, the guy who directed, uh, it's not Darren Aronofsky, who directed Slumdog Millionaire. Oh, yeah. Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle. After that, he was... Danny Boyle! <laughs> I mean, Danny Boyle had done... think people that when they go on set with Danny Boyle? Danny Boyle had done other stuff as Danny well, Boyle! too. He did, he did 28 Days Later. I think he did Train Spotting and, like... No, he, he's obviously done other things, just, just like Naruto does. He did the he did the second uh, Train Spotting film, which I heard from you was okay. Yeah, I thought it was, it was like... good. For someone who, personally, myself, doesn't like Train Spotting that much, right. I was surprised how much I didn't mind the sequel. Yeah. It was definitely a 
He also did the third uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. (laughs) Anyways, but I guess what I'm saying is that it's somebody who rose to prominence, and after that, that was pretty much it. Okay. I mean, after you win two years in a row, how how much farther can you go? Not much. And again, asshole, who is... Famous now for a t-shirt with Tom Hardy. Yeah, Icarus. Mm. Birdman flying too close to the sun. Anyway. So the stars of this film. Now, this is someone whose career definitely was resurrected from this film, uh, which is kind of what the plot is, uh, is Michael Keaton, who stars as Regan. Uh, Also here, Edward Norton, Emma Stone, Naomi Watts, Edward, I already said Edward, sorry, (laughs) Andrew Risenborough. In a double role. (laughs) Zach Galifianakis, and also Amy Ryan. So... And Edward uh, Norton. I already said him, didn't I? I, know. I think so. You said him twice. So, so you're just being an asshole now. I'm trying to... I've been drinking. Make this fun. Just like you and Toussaint, who already... He went through a six-pack. He bled his heart out he bled? to the audience that he was drinking a ton tonight. He sure and did. it's... You know, it's okay. But I'm still here. Do you? Yeah. I do. Anyway. So anyways, we actually all saw this in the theater during its first run, not during its Oscar run. So we saw this in November? Yeah, it was with Kenny. 2014? Yeah, early. No, no. No, it was not with Kenny. No, we went to go see this with Kenny. We did literally not do that. What are you talking about? We went to go see this with Kenny. So I'll explain this here. The first time. All three of us Mm -hmm. saw this at Regal this very same day we went and saw Interstellar on 70mm. The day it came out. Because we were like, oh, if we're going to go see that, maybe there's something earlier. And sure enough, Birdman was showing. Kenny is a person who went and saw it with Alex one day yes. by them oh, okay. And then Kenny wouldn't stop talking about how much he hated Birdman after that. I could have sworn that Kenny went to the theater with us. I mean, he saw other movies with us. We okay. saw American Sniper mm-hmm. yeah, with I Kenny. Mm-hmm. I don't think Toussaint was there, but... I was there. At, no, saw, no, I was going to say... We saw Black Sea. I was going to say Black Sea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was going to be... Little fun fact of film tank history: mm-hmm. Black Sea was originally going to be a possible first episode, uh, but that fell through. Just and that's like fine. the movie. During American Sniper, Alex and I had probably one of the funniest moments in a theater when they made a joke about Kaiser Soze, and there was literally a kid behind us who said, "Who the fuck is Kaiser Soze?" And it yeah. was just fucking incredible. It was perfect. It was awesome. It was the best part. Brian Singer was behind the kid, and he said, "Shut the fuck up, kid." Yeah, it was great. And then there was a fake baby. Yep, it was this Go entire up. recursive loop that was four layers. It was awesome. First of all, the fake baby was a metaphor for the dangers of capitalism. Are you sure it's the dangers of capitalism or the dangers of ultranationalism? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nothing was better than uh, that great line from Aaron Eckhart at the end of Sully, though. Well, I wish it would happen in July. <laughs> when you said Aaron Hecker, I, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, pictured Aaron Taylor Johnson. <laughs> And I was like, when has Aaron now, Taylor Johnson ever which, uttered a great see, line? <laughs> which Aaron Taylor Johnson performance are we thinking of? Are we thinking of Nocturnal Animals? Are when he we takes a shit on of... the uh, deck? Yeah, I'm thinking of that one. Okay. I was saying, because there's multiple options. There's Godzilla. Oh, yeah. Um, there's Kick-Ass. That's, that's about there's it. There's Avengers. Mm, is there? There's that Anna Karenina film. Mm. 
That's great. Who wants to start off talking about Birdman? I'll start off talking about Birdman. Yeah? Okay. Okay. We missed you. So I haven't seen this film since I first saw it in theaters, and this is actually the first uh, Alejandro Iñárritu film I've ever seen front to back in theater or otherwise. Um, I I had tried renting – Size The Revenant? I mean, besides The Revenant, I mean, gotcha. before The Revenant, this was the first Inuritu film I had seen in theaters or, or, or at all in its entirety. Like, I, I had heard good things. I've heard good things about 21 Grams. I still haven't seen it. I thought about watching it today before I came over, but I just decided not to. Um, I was I, – I rented Babel back when I was in high school. I maybe <laughs> got I maybe got, like, one-third of the way in, and I'm just like, what the fuck is this shit? And I just turned it off and, like, I just took it back to Hollywood Video. Vagina. Yeah, I remember that too. I know, just like, what the fuck is this shit? Um, so it was preteen vagina. I mean, respected to that, I also rented Old Boy back when I was in high school and hated that, and then watched it again when I was in college, and I was just like, wow, this movie's really good. I don't think you're gonna have a similar experience with Babel. I'm really not no, going. I know that's why I haven't Boy, gone back to watch it. At least Old Boy has a happy ending. Ooh, man, shut the fuck up. Anyway, um, so anyway, I I came into this just because I was excited for the fact of. Like Michael Keaton because I hadn't seen him in at all in anything for a very long time, and I think that's what contributed. You're talking to, about the first time you saw this. The first time I saw this for 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 Birdman, mm-hmm. um, I hadn't seen him in anything for a while, and I read the plot synopsis of like what the film was going to be about, and I'm just like, oh wow, I was like this is going to be really interesting to see him in this role because I feel like he's perfect for it, and it turns out that he is. Like it's a very in, in my opinion, I think that it's a very well-made film technically. Um, I like the lighting. I like the blocking of the characters in a in a mock single-shot film like this. Um, I like their performances mostly because I feel like they are more they're, – they're believable, but they're more bespoke to a theatricality that is inherently mirroring that of the fact that they are actors that are putting on a play, especially when you have like the, the, the confrontations between Michael Keaton and Emma Stone, the father and daughter in that, in that sort of way and talking about how he's irrelevant and over the hill. Like that is very much, that, that, that is very much something that is, is speaking to um, the fact that it is a film and that it's self-conscious of, of the fact of it, of it being a film and in mock in, not mocking, but sort of simulating the 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 nuances and attitudes of theater. I like that a lot. A lot you about the it. vitality. The vitality. Theater. Yeah, I would. I would. I would say that about it. Um. Uh. If you ask me for the life of me what this film was about, like thematically, like I wouldn't be able to put a a a neat little circle around it because I feel like it encompasses so much and I haven't really devoted enough time to be able to really unpack everything that it's trying to put into it. But if I, if you ask me what I liked about it, I would say that I like seeing this over the hill actor who's just trying to, who's pretty much over the hill in, in regards to one generation of popularity and he's trying instead to grasp after a a form of prestige there's a there's a line from uh edward norton where popularity is the slutty little cousin of prestige and what he's trying to go after is like he's already had his time with the slutty little cousin of of popularity he wants to now try to grasp after prestige in his more golden years as an as an actor but then he realizes that prestige as he thought it existed, no longer really exists, and that it has morphed into just another semblance of popularity this time that is more augmented through controversy, through exhibitionism, through um, schadenfreude, 
basically mediated through the actual internet. And that's kind of like what I interpret as sort of the, 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 the meaning or the context of that ending. And just like he wanted to go for prestige, but instead he just ended up circling back to to popularity, but a, a an even more debased form of popularity than he had when he was a fucking like leading man for a superhero movie, which no offense to superhero films are considered the junk food now of 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 mainstream cinema. So he's even a lo- a, a rung lower than that, but at least now he's grasp- grasping after relevancy. Um, I'm still trying to parse through the the meaning of the ending of this film, and I really would like to talk to you guys more about that. But those are sort of my initial films. I like the music. I think it's really well done. I think I like the humor a lot. Um, Naomi, Naomi Watts is great. Um, and, yeah, I'll pass it off to whoever wants to go. Uh, Alex, Nick? I'd like to go next. Sure, yeah, go. Because I think you'll probably have a lot more to say. Probably. Um, I'll say that... Uh, I think th- I'm going to lead with this sentence, which is, okay. I think this movie is bullshit. <laughs> okay. I think it's very good bullshit. Yeah. I think it's a lot of fun. I think yeah. it's technically impressive. Yeah. I'm, I actually really like this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, this is definitely no mistaking for this movie, uh, for anything other than Inuritu pleading to the, his critics that he is making serious art. And um, his shall we say, attempt is worth it alone and should give him uh, praise whether his final products do or do not. Um, Now that you're talking about critics, I remembered one other performance that I really enjoyed and I'm trying to... Lindsay Duncan? Lindsay Duncan as as Tabitha, the the theater critic. Or any critic that Inuruta has ever had. Exactly, and I'm I'm interested in just um, unpacking that character in general just because I'm personally interested because I write criticism yeah. on the internet and I'm trying to figure out like, you know, are my, are my motivations or my, or, 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 or is my approach to criticism reflected through this character? No, I don't think it is at all. I think that it's, it, it's, I, I mean, I've met critics like that who are so way up their own ass that they believe that, they themselves perceive their own criticism or their own writing, and I think that's total bullshit. As a writer, you should you should really have deference to the fact that you are you're not shit in and of yourself. That's just my personal philosophy yeah. to it. I think that as a writer, as a critic, you the most that you are being asked for is to have an opinion or a stance on a topic and being able to communicate and cohere those ideas into a way that is easily understandable or at least or at least parsable to an audience and if you are putting yourself in between what is actually necessarily being said yeah. then you're interrupting the ability of that audience to be able to to actually take the work at its face instead of just like interjecting yourself in it and i think that's fucking bullshit you need to fucking step back and let the work speak for itself in a way but you also have to speak and by the work itself i mean the actual writing which I'll is, say, oh, if you don't mind, no, no, yeah, uh, I'll say the one prominent scene which she is featured in, which is the scene where she argues with uh, Michael Keaton's yeah. character Riggin, and he's, I'm going to bury your play because I don't like you, right? Which, um, and I can understand why she doesn't like him, but like that yeah. is, for, uh, although I will say, um, preconceived notions are pretty much the baseline for yeah. a lot of people's thoughts. In Even people this who era. would never admit it, yeah, myself no. included. That's true. Yeah, that uh, I mean, 
even if you go into, oh, I'm going to see the new Paul Thomas Anderson film. I'm expecting this, 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 and this. Right. Like, Whether it's going it to be, be a masterpiece, bad. no matter right. what. I mean... <laughs> Agree. Right. I mean, this... <laughs> like, I, mean, I it's... totally get what you're saying. Thanks, buddy. Um, so, I mean, even if it's a little ham-fisted, I mean, that... It's pretty much right on for yeah. me. So, yeah. I, what Go I ahead. do like about that scene, I'll admit, and mm-hmm. like I, sometimes, like I think the first time I saw it, I had to like really chew it over as to whether it was uh, purposeful outside of basically just shitting on the critic. But the more I watch that scene, the more I actually come on the side for it, which is that I actually think both of them are on the polar opposite, which is that, yes, Tabitha, the critic, is just blatantly putting herself in her own, shall we say, uh, piece, so to speak, that she was going to write. But I think Riggin is just as much a victim of pleading... Um, to the audience. Yeah, pleading to the audience by putting himself into it rather than his work, because his whole argument to Because her, he had to be the one who's starring in the film and yes. directing the film and writing the script right. and well, writing the adaptation he's saying, of the it film. cost me everything. It doesn't matter if it costs you everything. Yeah. If it's not good, it's right. not good. You know, right. So that's why, actually, by the end of the day, I do like that scene a lot, because I think both of them are up their own ass. Yeah. Um, overall, before I pass it on to you, I, I'll just say that I I do enjoy this movie. I think it's... Pretentious. I think it's yeah, absolutely to a silly. Fault. I think it's a lot of things. I think it gets a lot of things right, and I think the fact that it's a comedy is what saves it. Like, yeah. and I mean even the drama, which I also enjoy, but the fact that it doesn't take itself so seriously is one of its best virtues. <laughs> um, what the and, fuck does that subtitle mean? Because it's like if you don't care about the critics, you'll just make great art. Don't listen is, to him. That is... Oh, come on. Like, I'm not <laughs> close. That is... That is absolute... Mm. That's that's bullshit. Alex, why don't you go now? Yeah? Yeah. I think this film is a masterpiece. Yeah? Yeah. I, um, this is in my top 50 films of all time. Every time I watch this, I like it that much more. Um, I really did enjoy it the first time we saw it in the theater, but uh, this is one of the rare films that I caught three times in the theater and liked it that much more each time. Um, Every single beat for this film hits for me, Uh, specifically uh, starting off with the technical aspects here, which I think are absolutely fantastic. This is... Uh, Lubeski probably at the top of his game, other than maybe Tree of Life, which still is probably his best overall work. I mean, there he, but due to the the structure of Birdman, mm-hmm. like in Tree of Life, he's able to compose a shot in any way he wants, whereas here he has to keep it on a certain rail, so to speak. But he's still which, doing great work. I was gonna say, which is amazing that yeah. it looks as good as it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and. You know, we go from shot to shot. Uh, I will still contend that this is one of the best edited films uh, that I've ever seen, specifically because it has so many cuts throughout it that are pretty much done uh, seamlessly uh, from one to the other. I mean, there are a couple that are obvious, like the time he throws the glass against the wall and explodes and the camera moves quickly, but there are probably... 50 something obvious cuts throughout this film and only five of them are really obvious. Yeah. So I, 
There's a lot of times when you know there is a cut, but it's not because you can see it. You just know that that's the place in which you would put one, like when he's going to from the inside to the outside and he's opening the door, so mm-hmm. a wave of like black floods the screen. Yeah, but there are other moments that are, um, you know, that you can tell that there was a cut, but it's 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 just it's cinematic magic which we see. But it's so much less these days because we're bombarded with CGI and that kind of shit. So um, that part of the film for me is always just, for the most part, flawless. Um, all of the acting performances here, and if this film didn't have good acting performances, it would have failed. So uh, that was very important to have ki- different kinds of acting performances. You had the has-been. You had the great actor who is up his own ass. You had Naomi Watts who is already a great actress, but is playing a different kind of role. Uh, you had the unknown, Andrew Risenborough, who's the unknown to the audience. Uh, and you had Emma Stone, who's who's the, the young daughter, who, you know, is young at the time. And, and, and it's just it's just everybody. Like Rocking every... her Gwen Stacy hair. Well, probably because she could... <laughs> had to have that hair then. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, no, that you're... Yeah, that Spider-Man franchise really worked out for her. Well, and he pops up in this movie as a supporting character. A Spider-Man pops a- up in this movie. Yeah. Oh no, it's it's Andrew Garfield. <laughs> Let's just be honest. But it's it, everybody from the character they are playing to the way they play their character hits the right notes for me. I mean, Edward Norton, like everyone, has their preconceived notions about him as as an actor. I mean, even to his most recent role in Collateral Beauty, where you're like, oh no, why would you do that? Um, and he pretty he's much... an actor. Yeah, okay. We still gotta watch that, by the way. We do, that would be fun. Oh, yeah. We apparently also have to watch the uh, the Emoji movie, as one of our fans posted <laughs> on our Facebook yeah. We're not, not going to do that, Anna. I'm sorry. We're <laughs> well, not, you know what, Tucson? You've been on the last six episodes, so maybe you don't get a vote in this. You know, maybe I just won't be on that episode. Well, you know what I say to that? Yeah. I farted. That's cool. Thanks, buddy. But I wasn't by the microphone. Okay. Well, I'm glad everyone's on the same page. But the the active performances are all right where they should be, and they all they all land at the exact right spot for me. Even Zach Galifianakis has really good. a great performance here, and he's somebody who I usually can't stand. Um, and ev- everything from the opening scene to that great scene where uh, Edward Norton is drunk and he's... Um, fighting with Michael Keaton uh, to the comedic moments, to the dramatic moments, to the suicide sequence, both of them, um, you know, to the very grasping for straws, jellyfish light marching band on the stage sequence, to the cinematic moment of the film when he shoots himself and falls down and the audience is giving a standing ovation um, right into the camera. It, you know, this film pretty much does everything for me and I, I think it's an absolute fantastic work. So, yeah, I'm a big fan. So, it's going to be hard for me to find anything I don't like about Birdman. So, there you go. One thing we've all said pretty much uh, mm-hmm. as far as the one take aspect of it goes uh i'm a big fan of the way it's edited and the way it's presented and i definitely and this is nothing new whatsoever but as um as somebody personally who uh was in the theater in high school and whatnot um 
I that's half the reason why I have a lot of affection for this movie because no matter how much it is whining and kind of pretentious, it. I does, mean, it's just like being in the theater. I was ex- yes, it exactly captures what it's like to be a part of an ensemble in which you are trying to put on something that you probably know in your heart is not that important, but because you truly are giving a piece of yourself into it, uh, you just want it to be recognized and uh, admired uh, to some degree. And so I'm I, the way the one-take aspect basically feeds into that aspect, um, I just think it's fantastic, um, especially when the camera itself floats onto the stage during the performance. Like, I would have watched like actually the entire play of of Inuritu filming just that and going you know to and from and yeah. around because it's so electrifying in the way that Lubeski moves around these actors as if it's the cameraman so to speak is not there and we can get any conceivable angle even though there's no cuts and that's what's kind of it's, uh, it's almost as if great. multiple times that it's like a person's head like noticing something to the right and turning and seeing yeah. oh there's a person drumming and yeah. here's a homeless person yelling who's really just looking for a job <laughs> and here is Regan going into a liquor store to buy a bottle of whiskey to the get drunk wide shut liquor store is <laughs> what I call it am I right fellas I don't I wouldn't know I haven't just seen say I'm right. shut. you haven't seen Eyes Wide Shut you I really heard. should because it's in my top five films of all time mm. it's a very interesting film not just because of the famous sex scene I didn't even know about the famous sex scene what well you're gonna know about it Okay. Wait, well, really? You don't not, know about it? Not, you know nothing about it? I know nothing about this oh. other than it's a masquerade thing. <laughs> and it takes place at Christmas Wait, or something. how do you know that, but you don't know it's a... It's... You, don't, you know nothing else about it. <laughs> I know they wear masks. I just didn't know what they were doing. Uh, well, yeah, I didn't know what it... <laughs> They're having sex. Okay, that's cool. And we're going to watch and that. And at the end of it, it turns into something very different. Okay, so no, it turns... No, at the, at the or... end of the sex scene, not the end of the film. Thanks. I, I, can't, I can't wait to watch it. Oh, we're gonna watch it. That's cool. Yeah. The 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 finale of the sex scene is a top scene. Of Maybe all time. we can watch it for a Christmas episode. You joke? you might have something there. Yeah, you joke, but I do watch it every December. So no, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I'd be down for that. Uh, Alex mentioned the performance of Zach Galifianakis, and you know, I will say that I think I'm on the uh, side of the spectrum, and that I actually very much appreciate Zach Galifianakis in almost everything he does. Not because I think that across the board he does like great work. Like I can totally see why he would be annoying to just about anybody. But I think most of that's due to casting. I don't think that's really his. Because I think his work on Baskets, which is his own show, shows that he actually is interested in more uh, material like Birdman and Baskets, where he's being his doofusy self but in a slightly more realistic and depressing light i my impression of zach galifianakis has been that um even if even before you could in his in his earlier roles in 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 comedies and shit like that even if you wouldn't necessarily call him a serious actor i would say that there is sort of an earnestness to his approach to his actual portrayals. Like you, you, you think it's not like I never feel as though he is just there to collect a paycheck like Adam Sandler. 
I don't think like he's re- reached that point of of just acquiescence to to mm, his a couple to his typecast. But I, I mean, think in cameo roles, in in, yes. ca- in cameo roles and something like that. Yeah, but I feel like in in his in his primary roles in a, in a comedy, I genuinely agree with Tucson. Yeah, I, when I, it comes I, to like the I, Hangover, where I actually think that there's even if no one else is necessarily at least he's giving a fucking effort casting him for that reason. But I think that there's like. A almost he was, sad, like like you said, just an earnestness to his doofus persona, where think, he's the only character who's trying to play like a uh, endearing human being. I think he and Steve Carell. Everybody else in were, those movies are assholes. I think yeah, he and Steve Carell were cashing them checks in Dinner for Schmucks. I mean, yeah, well, obviously they're cashing them <laughs> checks because those checks are big. To but be I, fair, but that I'm movie is that, was already a remake of a French farce. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know that like I'm not but, saying that he's uh, sure he's yes. doing the hangover films bec- as as art that he's approaching it as art in that way that's not what I'm saying I'm saying that at least he showed up and he's doing his job and he's not entirely like, phoning it in Bradley Cooper he's actually and, fucking trying uh, at least. Ed, Helms. Ed Helms feel like they're playing themselves yeah like, when they get angry and like oh I'm so over this bullshit uh, anyway, that's just a random thing. He also but, was the only one who was trying in the horrible third one. So that know. is actually true. <laughs> yeah. So was Melissa McCarthy. She wasn't in any of the other ones, but that's okay. Well, I meant in the third one. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> Except I didn't actually mean that she wasn't trying in that movie. No, she was also cashing them checks in that yeah, she particular was. instance. Yeah, she's pretty much just cashing checks at this point. That's fine. Not really. She's in that one commercial that's horrible, but that's fine. Oh, the uh, Save the Whales? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. So when we went and saw this film, uh, I remember this film had a lot of a lot of early buzz. Uh, particularly, I remember the trailer being pretty intriguing uh, and had a lot of early on buzz as this film got an early uh, not wide release and a lot of critics went and saw it and pretty clear to me why critics would like this uh it's very much a critic film oh there's a critic in this movie it was pretty divisive yeah some critics thought it was one of the worst movies they've ever seen in their entire lives of course no yeah. oh, that's me the av club i think it was scott tobias and that was like a like d or something like that and i don't blame somebody for being a professional critic and watching this movie and might <laughs> It might getting a little rubbed the wrong way. Yeah, I think they're slightly uh, a victim of putting themselves on after they see something like this. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, uh, I think the the great thing about this film is is that even our our old friend Kenny, who who said that he didn't care for this, I think everyone's going to have an opinion about this film, and I think. Um, if if you're a film that is called great but nobody really has an opinion on, that's not a good place to be. Like, great all great films are like, hated by some. People, the Shawshank so. Redemption. I mean, I, re- I hear people say they like that movie, but I don't necessarily hear people tell me why. Because it's on all the time. That. Yeah, but I always hear bullshit, and I think there's a lot of movies like The Shawshank Redemption, but that's just the easiest one that comes to mind, where people just say, "Oh, like it just encompasses life." Uh, do you want to hear? Do you want to know my actual? Because I actually do enjoy The Shawshank Redemption. I'm not saying I think it's, it's like a good a film, horrible movie. Like but any film can encompass life. Like what are you? I gotta tell you, what's particular and, about its approach? This is this is usually not my take on films, yep. but this will be my take on specifically on The Shawshank Redemption. Okay. 
Because we're not talking about Birdman anymore. Well, we've never done this. We've never gone to a different film. Uh, maybe this is, you know, whatever, but... Don't uh, do it. The Oppressed White Man? What about The Oppressed White Man? Tell me more. Shawshank Redemption. Tell me more. That's what that film is. And so Unpack many, that. I mean, it's so many people love Shawshank Redemption because it is... Oh, you're saying that's why they like yes. it? Yes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely see that. <laughs> because you have... For a moment, I, I thought you were like... The oppressed white man, like no, that's, that's can you not like that? That, that, that <laughs> like I, I very easily. That is, that is not a that is not a common trope in, but yeah. it, is, it is definitely yeah. no, it's, something. It's really not a common trope, but it is definitely something that white people could re- could feel like they can relate to. And there's a cute black man. There is. The magical Negro, for the it, most part. Is he magical? Oh, wait, because he can get anything. So he's sort <laughs> of magic. And he shows up at the end, and they hug each other by the boat. And whatever. Well, because they're the magical Negro because he doesn't kill anybody in prison. <laughs> wow. 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 Brooks was here. Now I know why I took a break. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, but... Um, yeah, I like the Shanks production. I, I've enjoyed it. <laughs> Like watching in the past, like I, I loves watching the oppressed white man. I mean, it's that's actually not why I. It's getting fucked over. He cries not, every time. Actually, no, that's not why. I, <laughs> they I just, don't get their due. I just thought it was a good story. I like Andy. Tim Dufresne. Robin's I gonna like, get his. <laughs> I like an, an intelligent character that still is able to retain his humanity even under like a a an unjust verdict. Or I I, I can't remember whether he actually murdered the guy or anything like that. But I just. <laughs> Whatever, fuck it. He I, was white, of course he didn't do it. Man, I, wow, I, I just kind of want to walk back from that now because I like it, but I don't feel like I feel like defending against that sort of claim because it just feels uncomfortable. You so, know who didn't defend against that. it? Andy uh, Dufresne's lawyer. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Andy yeah. Dufresne's okay, lawyer. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done talking about. Probably because he was in with the warden, right? Oh, yeah. The warden who happens to be the villain from the you second East like? Ventura film. I like movies that set classical music to rebellious scenes. Oh, um, like when he, he puts on the, uh, the the gramophone and yes. then everybody's like listening to it and they burst in and they beat him with uh, billy clubs. They give him some wood shampoo, as cops like to say. Wood shampoo? Yeah, I learned that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wait, what's wood shampoo? Well, they call it wood shampoo because they beat you upside the head with a wooden baton. Oh, like it's on your head. And they beat you in the head until it splinters. Mm. Yeah. That's not very nice. Yeah, I know it's not very nice. But Back to Birdman. Anyway. What's um, Birdman? What do you guys think about uh, the scene when things, for the most part, go off the rails for Regan's character, and then he starts flying through New York City, and... Then we see the final scene, and then we have the first suicide attempt, and then the second suicide attempt. Uh, the film definitely goes into a different direction at that point. Is it's? I wouldn't say. Does it? Was he ever really on the rails, or was he ever just like careening towards his own self destruction? No. Okay, it is, but if as, as for and me, he smells like balls. Thank you. When it sort of like interjects into this this wholesale magic realism of him like flying, but really in fact he's 
in a cab and but what, what, <laughs> and when are you going to get a cab in that time in New York City? Like that, I fucking that, hate this guy. No, fantasy. okay. So I guess what I'm saying is, from a viewing standpoint, yes, uh, it's for the most part. Even though there are certain moments, like him saying he made the lights fall on the guy who ends up suing uh, the theater company. Whatever, it's all for the most part somewhat straightforward what's happening until the flying scene begins, and then it's all for the most part a little bit all over the place. So, what is your guys' take on that and this film's finale? If I take the flying scene separately from everything else, Mm -hmm. I think that individual set piece is very silly. Maybe because it's a mixture of the flying itself with the Birdman character. Spouting all of the themes Inarito is trying to like push. Cut off that stupid goatee. Yeah, <laughs> like all. Yeah, so that scene itself is kind of silly. Um, I'm not really a big. That's probably my least favorite scene in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just. Ah! <laughs> I, I do laugh at the call. I will admit. Pretty funny. It's pretty pathetic. Um, <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's pretty pathetic. <laughs> well, that's why it's funny. Um, but yeah, that scene is my least favorite in the entire movie. The The finale itself, if we're talking about the hospital room mm-hmm. with Emma Stone uh, looking up, I think that in and of itself, I think a lot of people blew that, I don't want to call it denouement because it's kind of really the ending. It's not like a after the ending. Um, but I think a lot of people took that scene and blew it out of proportion. Like, I remember there being a lot of quote-unquote think pieces and articles to try to analyze and explain what happened when, A, it's, it's, it's fucking 50-50. Only one of two things happened. It's either <laughs> Emma Stone is, you know, staring out the window and something literal happened, which is that everything we've been seeing was actually real and Regan flew away for whatever reason you want to believe that. Uh, or it's what it's always also been throughout the entire movie as well, which is that nothing is taken literally, and that at that very moment it's the only time when she's ever looked up to her father, metaphorically. Um, And I'm certainly of the latter camp. I think this movie is very silly if I personally believe that it's um, that he just started flying and that it was a magical realism film all along. Uh, but as a nice little moment to end on, I like that it ends on her and not him, even though her action is derived from what we at least perceive to be his action. I like the idea that it ends with the one thing that Riggin is obsessed with, uh, which is his legacy or his perception of what other people think about him. So I think that's ultimately why it's actually a great final scene, uh, her looking up at And her you father. have the the kind of dual aspect of that scene, which is her looking up, and yet you hear all of the action on the bottom of the street, which is the ambulances and the people screaming yeah. out and everything. So yeah. it, it definitely plays into the whole idea of there being a separation between reality and belief yeah that kind of thing for sure yep um and that's why i i i do actually enjoy that finale and even backing up a tiny bit in that hospital scene itself um everything after him shooting his nose off so to speak um i actually think in order to spite his face Tucson, great to have you back. Um, 
We didn't have this when he wasn't. <laughs> no, we just had really stupid Bill Clinton impressions. Yep, I'm back on my bullshit. <laughs> Bill Clinton impressions and talk about porn stars. It's great. When I sat down to watch Burn Man. <laughs> I had a special screening, just me and Mom. <laughs> Uh, anyway, the final <laughs> scene in the hospital um, where he wakes up, and I kind of pointed this out, and I'm sure everybody else caught on to this, but I'll repeat it again because I just like the way it looks. Uh, but the fact that his gauze uh, over his nose and the top half of his face more than likely resembles uh, what most productions of The Phantom of the Opera uh, <laughs> do for the Phantom's mask, which... That play itself is literally looming over the St. James Theater throughout the entire movie. In fact, that was just a coincidence. Oh, of course. In fact, I will say one of my favorite shots this time around, which I don't really think I noticed. Like I always notice the Phantom of the Opera itself in the movie, but there's the one shot of the St. James Marquis and the windows and the door where the Phantom of the Opera's marquee across the street. Um, either due to the sun or due to the shifting camera, I can't remember, whatever. But the marquee itself in the reflection is moving from right to left is one of the best shots in the entire movie, um, for me at least. Um, But I like the way that that in and of itself spoke to how Riggins is trapped in the art that he's trying to live up to and also how he himself is living a very cliched uh, duology that he's never going to be able to get out of. uh, I mean, to, I mean, if you want to think about the comparison between him and the Phantom of the Opera even further, they can sing both of them, him (laughs) and Gerard Butler. Ooh, Gerard. Um, You know, the story of the Phantom of the Opera and the way that not necessarily the exact story, but, sort of the whole lore of the Phantom and then how he ends is actually somewhat similar to, to the story of our main character here, which is definitely an interesting comparison and obviously was on purpose. Um, two other things. The first one uh, I'll, I'll make a comment on and get your guys' thoughts. Uh, you know, we joked a little bit about it, but Edward Norton has not done that much great work in the last, no, let's call it, Five years to a decade. I'm gonna say decade. Yeah, it's been a while, and it's he comes. He's come back here. Thank you, Stained Aaron Lewis. He comes back here and delivers a fantastic performance where he was nominated for an Oscar and could have definitely won. Um, much like uh, Robert De Niro delivered a great performance in Silver Lines Playbook and then went to make Dirty Grandpa. Uh, but oh, that was great. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But Edward Norton comes back and... He wasn't just a grandpa. Mm-hmm. He was dirty. <laughs> but Edward Norton delivers a different kind of performance than we have seen in some of his great roles like Fight Club or um, American History X or you name it. He's got a lot of... Sammy Bagel Jr. That's something. He's got a lot of fantastic roles throughout his career, but this was pretty different than all of them but probably much more in alignment with what Edward Norton actually is as in a what he wants to be as an actor. Um, so, Nick, I know you were obviously a huge fan of Edward Norton throughout his career up until you know the last decade. Um, I, I know you enjoyed Edward Norton's performance here, but, but 
what did you you know what did you think about it on on this pass through after it's got to be at least a year or so since you've seen this film yeah, well, Edward Norton himself was like my favorite actor when I was growing up because mm-hmm. I was growing up in what I would probably consider a peak Edward Norton. Sure. It was Fight Club, American History X, even things like Death to Smoochie, which like you know can be controversial as to whether you like it or not. But certainly, he's at least trying something. Uh, Why is that controversial? Controversial in that some people think that movie is very stupid and some people think that that movie is good. Oh, yeah, it's very stupid. I also don't think that it being very stupid precludes it not being good. I just meant as far as, like, most people at least just won't just be... That it's without merit or or any type of... Well, you know, those people are wrong. That's cool. Yeah, but I'm saying even his, like, divisive projects were at least good back then. Um, Even his most divisive projects have, like, some type of merit to them. yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, the, he was my favorite actor. He's no longer my favorite actor because he didn't really keep with it, so to speak. Who is your favorite actor, by the way? Uh, living actor, like, currently acting is mm-hmm. right now Ben Mendelsohn, probably. Okay. Um, gotta love that guy. Uh, Oscar Isaac is probably second to him, but Ben Mendelsohn. Can I just say really quickly? Yes, please. I read somewhere that Ben Mendelsohn was almost considered for... The new Pennywise and It, and oh, I think man. it's probably for the best because even he couldn't have. I'm not that saying film like it would have made it a better movie, but it would have made it a, a day film that you would have wanted one watch movie yeah. for one Nick Cheney. I <laughs> just say it definitely would have probably been different. Probably, yeah. but I could totally see him as a crazy clown. Ben Mendelsohn's great for a multitude of reasons, but um. He always, for the most part, is playing himself, which is usually uh, something that people hate about actors, but for him, it always seems to work. For him, it's good. He's usually playing different shades of a... Of a similar character, I think. Yeah. Whether it's He's like... always got the same delivery for the most part, yeah. though, of that, what are you talking about? That's but, like, when I, I watch, like, mm. Animal Kingdom versus Bloodline, I do think of him as different characters, which is, I think, yeah. his strength, so to speak. Yeah, but he doesn't fall into the, um, you know, sort of same lineup that everyone else has been typecast yeah. into something like Steve Buscemi for... 20 years of his career of, oh, we'd like you to play the silly rapist. Please be here for us. If anybody he's has not a rapist, like, he's just a guy who has like the face of a rapist. I was going to say, if, like, if anybody in a script has like slightly bulging eyes, it's like, have you heard of Steve Buscemi? Who? The guy from Billy Madison? Yeah. No, I mean, Con Air, he's playing a rapist child molester who That's has that true. very uncomfortable scene, which is very... Uh, out of line with the rest of the film. Mr. Jellybean, no! Oh, boy. All I'm saying is, I would totally watch an it where Ben Mendelsohn is taking a drag and just says, crazy fucking world. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> um, what was I going to say about... We were talking about Edward Norton. Edward Norton. Yep. I loved him as a kid. Now I certainly still like him if he's going to try, and I think in Birdman he definitely not only tries, but... He's so self-aware in this role that he's lampooning himself, which is part of what lends this role uh, its charm. I mean, you know, it takes a lot because of the fact that, you know, he is not only playing himself, but he's playing that version of himself where I do 
uh, shall we say, buy into, which is that I think he's kind of an asshole in the way that he picks and chooses his roles and thinks of everything that he does as serious art because he is good at what he does. And so here, he's doing all that, and yet I'm still charmed by him, which is just really fucking annoying. <laughs> but he knows that, and that's why he's doing what he's doing. So I definitely think that there's probably no one better casted in this movie, like even more so than Michael Keaton and everybody else, who I think are all wonderfully casted. Yeah. But I think he's the person who's most closely playing himself in a uh, wonderfully brilliant way. Now, Tucson brought up an interesting point earlier where he said that... I did? <laughs> I love how he's Good so job, surprised buddy. that he didn't feel like there would be anybody else who would be better casted as Michael Keaton was to play the role of Regan. Yeah. However... Um, he was wrong! Anyway, continue. Yes. Ben Mendelsohn. Well, let's just say this. I mean, some of the character traits of Regan were probably brought on because they casted Michael yeah. Keaton. So I think Regan, the character was written for Michael Keaton. Yeah. So like, it's not so much that there's nobody better to play Regan, so much as Regan would have been rewritten. <laughs> uh, yeah, if they brought in. Because half of Regan is Inari too. The other half is Michael Keaton. And I think that half that's Michael Keaton would have been written to pretty much fit anybody. But I think Michael Keaton fits the bill perfectly because no matter who plays Riggin, they have to be a washed-up, slightly mediocre actor. And you can get a lot of those. <laughs> like, yeah. You, you can't get, um, with you know this particular role, You they wrote it so that it's the Batman analogy and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, there are certainly other people that could have did mediocre, kind of washed-up acting. But Johnny Depp. Yeah, except he would have taken it too seriously. <laughs> Not mediocre. Yeah, he'd been like, "Oh, I, I thought I was." He might actually like circle back and deliver something that would actually be interesting, despite himself. I don't know about he that. would think it was interesting. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but Michael Keaton in this, I will say the one of my favorite scenes in this entire movie is when him and Edward Norton are reading the lines for the first time, uh, when. I, and I can't tell if it's deliberate on Keaton's part. Like, I don't know if he's that conscious of how pigeonholed his acting is compared to somebody like uh, Edward Norton. Where I, 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 mean, I think he's self-conscious of it, but I don't know if he's self-aware of it, which are two different things, you know. And so that scene, because I think Inuritu casted two perfect leads for it, is one of my favorite scenes I've seen in any movie because of the way that the two leading actors' acting styles in real life inform their actual acting in uh, context of the, the the movie itself, um, and it just becomes a weirdly dynamic scene. It's not often that we watch a scene in a movie where we are not only being told to be self-critical of the acting on display, but we're uh, basically sh- shown the difference between two different people who are capable of two different kind of acting because a lot of times that goes to, uh, or I should say again, the suspension of disbelief. A lot of times you don't want to bring something like that to an audience. So the fact that this movie goes up against that uh, fourth wall, breaks it down, and says, no, that's what makes this movie great because we did cast within these boxes. I mean, that's what this film clearly was going yeah. for the whole time. So yeah. it, And it completely works. And... Uh, Something that's that's great is actually from the very first scene of this film, 
when we see Michael Keaton looking at a real uh, video showing uh, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, which is a fantastic analogy because we have both of them who had great early careers and for the most part fills it out for pretty different reasons. Uh, but then you have the enormity of success of Robert Downey Jr. And now you have Riggin, who is has all of his money sunk into this. Not He's, to mention and, the yeah. the flipped irony of Michael Keaton versus Robert Downey Jr. Michael Keaton, I, I wouldn't say became famous because of Batman, because he was already famous. I mean, Beetlejuice would probably be where he... Beetlejuice, and, and he was a huge 80s person between yeah. Night Shift and Mr. Mom and a lot of other things. But certainly he became... One of the most iconic roles of cinema, just in general, because Batman, the the character itself. Um, but the fact that that's what would be his like last great role, so to speak, before he kind of went out, and that somebody like Robert Downey Jr. would then like have his first great role in Forever be a major Avenger, yeah. is like an ultimate, you know, thorn in the paw as far as like. Like, like in this movie, Michael Keaton can't recapture that. He can't, like, go down the path of a Robert Downey Jr. because then that's just recapturing old uh, flame. And yet superhero movies are what's hot right now. So somebody like Michael Keaton is fucking stuck in limbo. And and that's the ultimate tragedy yeah. of Keaton and, and Regan. And yet it's, it's, it is, uh, for me at least, it was kind of, I had to smirk when... We see, uh, saw Michael Keaton back in the superhero genre earlier this year. Yeah, uh, in Spider Man. But now he can just be a somebody's dad, and because <laughs> I mean, literally that was the plot twist. And, yeah, and be just a nameless, not nameless, but a pretty thankless villain. Yeah. He'll probably be back at some point. He'll be part of Thanos's army. Oh, he better. Yeah, we'll see. So, going into final thoughts, uh, I think, I guess I'll start us off, okay. uh, is, is I think this film is, for the most part, 100% perfect. It's one of my favorite films of all time. I really wouldn't change anything about it, and every time I watch this, I appreciate it for even different reasons than the time before. Uh, I find this to be a sad film, a hilarious film, and and pretty much everything I would want out of a cinematic experience. Um Great performances all around from all of the white people in this film. Is <laughs> uh, they so many? Yes, lots of white. It's really. I'm really happy to finally see them getting the recognition that they deserve. You know, and and they got fucked over earlier this year by Moonlight. But, yeah. You know, next year they're yep. going to come back. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be. It's going to be okay. <laughs> he couldn't read it. It's fine. Um, and I just find this to be a a absolute work of. Um, work of art for me that that works on many different levels uh and for me is just a, a great film to watch and a very fun experience that hits on both fun filmmaking fun film watching and also to uh the theater experience which even though i have very limited participation in in theater uh, I've always been a very big follower of, of goings-on, whether it be in professional theater or in local theater, and, and the idea that this hits on that and hits on the comparisons and also uh, hits on the comparisons between acting and celebrities and social media and actually does it in a pretty good way throughout. 
uh, I think is, is pretty fascinating. So uh, it's a five out of five for me. This is a fantastic film that I am always going to love and have a spot for in my heart. And I, I, I'm a really big fan of Birdman. So I'll pass it on to whoever would like to go next. Yeah, I'll give it a three, um, a three out of five, just because I do enjoy watching this film. Um, there's never a time that I've, I found myself rolling my eyes at the film. I mean, it is very pretentious. It's very indulgent, but I think that's the point. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not trying to under. I'm trying to. I'm not trying to undercut the criticism of it. Like it it's is just not the it is point. Very, it's accidentally the point. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, it, it's. It is very indulgent. It is very much Inuritu speaking to his critics and very much leering at his audience and sort of people like eating that up in sort of way. But you know what? I like the way this tastes. I think that it's a really good movie. I think visually it's interesting. I think that the performances from Michael Keaton, from Emma Stone, from um, from Edward Norton, from uh, who I was talking about before, the critic. I think uh, that Lindsay Duncan. Lindsay Duncan. I think that all the principal characters, Naomi Watts. I think that the principal actors in this film have delivered some pretty like good performances on part of like perspective to the the importance of their roles and you know it's something that i'm willing to come back to like i i came back tonight to to watch it with you guys just because like you know it's a good movie so i i like it i i I would definitely recommend this film but i could also totally understand how somebody could find this insufferable as kenny did and you know yeah Hmm. a lot of people yeah yeah, I, I give this movie four out of five. Like, I do think, like I said earlier, it, it's bullshit, it's silly, it's like Toussaint said, indulgent, pretentious. And it's also pretty much the point. Uh, that, and here's the thing, I don't really like Inaritu, but I'll always like a director, or more specifically a writer, that is earnestly pleading, even if it's a little too blunt in this case, um, but pleading the message that art is art and it has value no matter what, even if somebody uh, doesn't like it. And I, I definitely think that's true. There's a lot of movies I don't like that a lot of people like, and that's for good reason because it that that means it is it's, art. It's art, but yeah, there's such a thing as good art and bad art too. Yeah, like it, it like the 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 status of it being art is not itself an honorific of quality it is not indicative of that like there's a very large range of art there's there's highbrow art there's lowbrow art there's there's avant-garde art there's yeah. classical art like it's it's it's, it's... as long as you're striving that's yeah. all that matters exactly. and and even if in a movie like this means that even if i think that the revenant is one of it's just a horrible movie that doesn't mean that i will hold that against Birdman itself, even though I know it comes from the same creator, and and I can probably see some similar threads when it comes to pretension and indulgence. But that's what's great about. Art. I mean, there is something to be said about we, we we talked about this before with regards to the character of Tabitha of how prior prior impressions can have a a sort of indirect, probably not explicit or deliberate but they do have an effect on sort of our reception of the newer work from that sort of person like say if 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 Zack Snyder came out and it said that he was going to make a a sequel to your favorite movie if he was going to make a sequel to Magnolia he got the rights to Magnolia I I don't want to see that actually that'd be that'd be weird from from Zack Snyder yeah (laughs) Oh, your mother's name is Martha? Oh, yeah, my mother's name is Martha. Oh, and she molested you, too? Yeah. Yeah! Jackie Earl Haley shows up in it for whatever reason. He's hosting a game show. That's great. 
And I'm actually kind of want to see that. God damn it, 200 Tucson. points? Fuck, uh, I just, you, you can sing it. I'm really sorry that I put that okay, out in the universe. Okay, the kids. <laughs> One is the loneliest number, man. It really is. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm a fan of Birdman. I think there's a lot wrong with it, and yet the things that are wrong with it is also what makes it what it is and uh, why it's kind of exhilarating to watch. So I, I'm a fan, and if, I think I said it, but I'll repeat uh, four out of five stars. Good stuff. So any thoughts, uh, as always, about Birdman? Or yeah, I've got a few. Um I think Birdman's a pretty... Uh, oh, you weren't asking me. Thank you, sir. Uh, any thoughts from our listeners um, on Birdman or, or anything else uh, revolving in Roots who really always feel free to send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Coming up on our next episode, uh, it will be the three of us and perhaps yeah. another guest. We'll, we'll see if we can find someone for the fourth chair. Uh, talking about the new Darren Aronofsky film, which is Mother, starring Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, and Aronofsky has had a, a pretty interesting career as, uh, in terms of his directorial work. He's had some some winners, some misses, for sure. Uh, he's done a couple <laughs> films that I absolutely love, Black Swan and The Wrestler. Uh, but he's also done The, the Fountain. Is so fucking good. It is. It's a really good film. It's probably my favorite sports movie ever made. No, yeah, I can see that. Anyway. But like The Fountain and Noah uh, aren't yeah. necessarily Noah. big wins. So yeah. we'll see. I mean, it, I, what I'd, a weird IMAX movie. Noah? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just saying, like, IMAX, usually if it's IMAX, it's like some kind of built in audience. There's no built-in audience for Darren Aronofsky's. No, I mean, as far as to fill out a seventeen-dollar ticket, a seat crowd like that's just weird. Was there an audience for Ridley Scott's Exodus IMAX film? You know, I feel like that was at least slightly more uh, epic, epic and straightforward. I mean, Noah. The whole point was it was extremely revisionist. Like it was like, what if Noah, but Middle Earth, uh, but and with, Hermione, yeah, but w- at least with Exodus, uh, it was still trying to tell the story with of, white people. Well, I mean, why else would what else would you? Why else? What? what other value is there other than telling it about white people? Ben Mendelsohn, yeah, Ben Mendelsohn and Joel Edgerton. That's all you need—the two greatest <laughs> Australian actors and maybe American actors, because I don't like American people. Oh, that's and Christian Bale. That's interesting. Yeah. He was invited to. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. So anyways, uh, Mother will be talking about, I know Tucson was uh, definitely excited to. In, I'm excited in, too. I'm interested. Well, I guess why don't you guys fill the audience in on, on why you're wanting to do an episode on this then? I mean, the reason why I'm interested in this is because I saw, I'm just going to be really shallow and just mm-hmm. talk about why it is that I was really interested in this. Yeah. Uh, one that, of my. kind of what I asked. One of my favorite artists is James Jean. He actually. He's a, he's a fine artist now, but he used to be a very prolific commercial artist. He actually did the cover art for um, the uh, Image Vertigo series Fables, which is very, very good and that I would recommend to anybody if they, if they have any passing interest in fairy tales or contemporary postmodern storytelling in graphic novels. But his graphic art for the covers of those issues was like definitive of, of its time. Um, in the early aughts, and now I think that he honestly is one of the most prolific and one of the most talented contemporary artists out right now. And he doesn't really do a lot of commercial work since he retired from that in like the mid, um, the mid aughts. Since then, 
after he left Fables. Uh, but recently he's been on sort of a tear um, doing not only the promotional posters, two promotional posters for Mother, but he also did the poster for Alej- um, um, Guillermo del Toro's uh, the, the Shape of Water. Oh. And, I lo- and I love both of those, all three of those posters, in, in fact, entirely, just because I feel like they really speak to um, his ability as an illustrator. I know that I'm not talking about the film proper, but really what attracted me to mm-hmm. giving a shit about the film, because if it's a film that... James Jean is willing to come out of semi-retirement or to make posters for, then he, there has to be something ab- about yeah. in, inherently about it that that makes me interested in it. And I saw the trailer for it, and I thought, oh wow, it's like I really like the shot of the blood seeping through the floorboards of the basement and bursting that uh that that, that light bulb. For me, that was the punctuating moment where I'm just like, okay, you have my attention. I really want to see like where this is going, what you're sort of doing with this. And then I went to go see. Or, or rather, I rented Rosemary's Baby because I, fu- I saw that there was a, a subsequent poster of it that was pretty much a mirror of yeah, Rosemary's Baby. Orange instead of green. And now there's, there's, there's sort of this, this theory that really Mother is just a backdoor remake of Rosemary's Baby. And I watched that film and I was like, man, like Rosemary's Baby. Is it Andy's mother from uh, Fuck you. Toy Story? Mm-hmm. What? I hate you. Rosemary's Baby is a very good film, and I don't see the point in trying to create. Oh, so now you're protecting rapists. um, You know, you're gonna let me. You're gonna let me finish a sentence one of these days, and I'm gonna be able to get a complete thought onto this podcast. Thanks. Um, Yeah, one of these days. So I watched in the 200s. I saw Rosemary's Baby. I really enjoyed that movie. Um, Roman Polanski needs to go to fucking jail, Um, but it's a great film. Uh, I don't see the point in remaking it, and if it is sort of like trying to go at it from a sideways way of sort of approaching the same sort of story beats but sort of contemporizing them in, in, in Aronofsky's own flavor of a way, then like I'm, I'm interested in it. I'm interested in the, the actors who are playing those roles, not necessarily in the lead actress but mostly in uh, – what's his name? Javier Bardem. Javier Bardem. Yeah. All right, so that being said, you already – for the most part, mentioned you're not that interested in Jennifer Lawrence, but um, yeah. she's if you, okay. If you step away from her initial kind of step into prominence, which was Winter's Bone, uh, is it Winter's Bone or is it Hunger Games? Well, I mean, no, Winter's, Winter's Bone was way before. Yeah, that was, oh, the, first okay. that was the first knew. time that people really knew, knew of her. Oh shit! As an actress. I, didn't, I didn't even Besides, know that. Well, it was that or the Bill Ingvall show. Take your pick. We'll go with Winter's Bone. Okay, continue. Anyways, uh, since the Hunger Games films, we've had things like Passengers and Joy, uh, American Hustle. So this is definitely uh, a step in a somewhat different direction for Jennifer Lawrence. And I'm interested to see what it turns out to be for her and as a film in general. Yeah. I'll say that I actually have not seen the trailer for Mother. Okay. I've not watched it. I know it's out there. But because we're so close to it, I'm like, oh, I'll try not to now. Mm-hmm. Because it seems like it's one of those, like... Well, I apologize for describing that scene then. Like, please care. forget about that forget. because it's... I was yeah. going to say I'll forget about that completely. I know. Um, but it seems like one of those, like, mainstream horror where it's not going to be, like, a, a scare fest, but just kind of like that psychological horror that Aronofsky brought to the mainstream, like with Black Swan, which I'm very much a fan of. And I haven't seen the trailer, so I don't know exactly what kind of a movie it is. But I definitely see Jennifer Lawrence as, even if it's not necessarily this kind of movie, but as a scream queen. Like I think she would be good as a put upon victim of uh, a psychological terror. So I, I'm very much. 
I, I got to be honest, just the feel I got from this. It's uh, not that. Thank you. I, why even bother saying that? What were you, what were you think I was going to say? No, I was saying it. Is it not that? Like I was just. It's just not what you think it is, bro. Oh, okay. That's fine. It's not going to be what you think I didn't it mean is. to. I thought maybe you were going to say a lot more. I, just, I was planning on it, but I got shut down. I couldn't even open my mouth, really. I'm shut so, down. I'm so sorry. Please. And this is just coming from the trailer yes. and coming from the promotional material, but the feeling I got from the trailer was much more along the lines of something like Stoker. Ooh. Um, not that I don't think... Uh, not that I think it will be like that, but Hold that's on. more... <laughs> Gotta put that back in the pants. <laughs> wow. Um, but that was the feel I got from it, is that this Boy. film is going to run along that line Be a little more. Be more of a stoic, kind of uh, cold and uh, almost... Dis- or, uh, disattached? Is yeah, that disattached yeah. horror, which I'm and And something that's going to go on the lines of trying to... Um, have this great visual kind of motif to it rather than okay. having this, you know, silly plot line that goes throughout. So we'll pour, see. Pour it in me. Yeah. Can I, I just I, say, say, I heard somebody describe the shape of water, a critic who's seen it uh, as, I think it was David Ehrlich who said it, but uh, basically he described it as the, it's like the iron giant. If Hogarth and the giant wanted to fuck, and I don't think I've ever been more sold on a movie after that. Have time. you watched that trailer yet? Yeah, I watched that it's trailer. Pretty fantastic. Oh, like that's probably in my top three of most anticipated of what's left in the year. Yeah, and just the the whole story. And I've never been the biggest Guillermo del Toro fan. This is right up my Guillermo del Toro alley. Yeah, I think it's probably um, just from my my. Outsider's perspective, probably the most interested I've ever been in a film of his. Perhaps, maybe just the first Hellboy, but yeah. no, I'm 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 right with you on being excited to see what this film's going to end up being. I'm ready. I mean, it goes, you know, like number one as far as film I'm most excited to see. It's it's Saw the eighth movie. Like who doesn't want to see that? Then mm-hmm. it's the Paul Thomas Anderson movie, a, va- then, a distant second. Mm-hmm. And then it's The Shape of Water, but yeah, until we see Saw, we don't know really how cinema is going to continue from this point forward. Yep. That's pretty much all you need to say. All right, so uh, we'll be talking about Mother coming up on episode 127. Mother! Thank you very much for that, Toussaint. You can always find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Tank Show, and you can find all of our episodes on FilmTankShow.com or also on iTunes or Stitcher at Film Tank Show. From Nick Cheney, the returning to Sant Egan, myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much for catching up with us at Film Tank, and we'll catch up with you next time. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.